Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, turn with me to uh, John 14, please. John 14. If you're new with us, my name's Chuck. I'm one of the pastors here. And we have been together for several weeks walking through John 13. And today we emerge into John 14. That's worthy of a woohoo. There we go. John 14. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you, in the pocket, or in the rack. And feel free to take that with you if you don't have a Bible of your own. That's our gift to you. Um, just to reiterate what Tad announced earlier, there is a significant uh, members meeting tonight. So please do come. Um, one thing I'm particularly excited about that will be happening tonight is uh, Roger and Jennifer Wood will be sharing their testimony of how God's been at work in their life. It will be a powerful evening together if just for that. So come back a little before six and uh, there's activities for kids planned as well. So in just a moment we'll read from uh, John 14 together. What's troubling you today? Let's start, how about, with just your own stuff. There are people here today with very substantial health challenges, just for one category of trouble. There's nothing quite like persistent, ongoing pain. Even those of us in the church that love each other find it difficult to know how do we care for someone who's not going to get better. That's not an easy thing, particularly for the person with that struggle. There's others here today who are fine in terms of your health, but you're simply disappointed with your life. Life's not turned out the way you expected. You haven't gotten married or you're married and you wish you weren't. Your job stinks. You live paycheck to paycheck. You go through religious motions on Sundays, but it really means nothing the rest of the week. You lack direction and are just disappointed. Others here are in private inner turmoil, perhaps such that you've never talked about it to a single other person. Menopause feels more like a decade than a pause. Others are depressed or anxious. Others have been emotionally maimed by the sins of other people. But... It's not just the internal stuff of our lives that drives our troubles, is it? There's also the troubles of other people around us. Because after all, they have troubles too. Our friends and family, in fact, have all the same types of troubles that we have. So you mix up our troubles and add their troubles, and you have a holy mess of troubles. You have a volcano ready to erupt. And as Kent prayed, none of that even speaks to the troubles around the world. If you've watched the news recently, places like Baltimore look more like 1960 than 2015. Nepal just had another earthquake, another, almost as big as the first one. Around the world right now, even as you sit and I speak, there are people being raped, kids are dying, men are killing each other. Jobs are being lost. 
and systemic injustices harming the powerless and advancing the powerful. The world is a mess. To hear all of this and not be troubled would seem troubling. And yet, God says you don't have to be troubled. In fact, he says, stop being troubled. Look at John 14, verse 1. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'll take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the where, and you know the way to where I'm going. You don't have to be troubled, but if you are, then know you're in good company. Jesus was speaking these words to his disciples who were exceptionally troubled. People who literally lived with Jesus, watched him do miracles, heard him teach, were mentored by him for years. These people still battled spiritual despair. Not sure about you, but I find that helpful and encouraging. Now remember the context. The disciples were troubled because they were confused. They were worried. They were anxious. One of their own, as Tad talked about recently, had betrayed Jesus. And Jesus wouldn't quit talking about dying. Every time they turned around, he seemed to be saying, I'm going to die, and I'm going to leave you, and you can't come. They thought he was going to turn Jerusalem upside down to restore Israel to its glory. But instead, Jesus was infatuated with dying and leaving. So naturally, they were confused. The disciples were troubled, don't miss this, because their expectations of Jesus were wrong. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't being clear. It was that they had one idea of what he came to do when in actuality he came to do something different. How timely that is for us. The way through troubles, Jesus says, is to believe in God. Instead of being troubled, believe. Believe in God the Father and believe in God the Son. We sung those words together just a few minutes ago. Jesus says the way to stand up in the midst of terrible hardship, the way to have courage and remain steadfast, is to believe in God. He actually says nothing about circumstances changing. He says everything about placing your belief in the right person. The disciples were about to have their leader arrested. They would scatter in fear. Peter, who always seemed to be courageous, would lie and said he never knew Jesus. And then their Messiah, the person all their hopes were placed on, would be nailed to a tree and die a horrid, awful death. It's not only understandable that they were troubled, it's actually logical. It makes sense in their view of things. They had longed for God to stay true to his word. And Jesus said, I'm the fulfillment of the promises. But like you and me, their expectations about what that meant weren't quite right. 
I think if we were there, every single one of us would have been troubled because our hope was being shattered before our very eyes. But Jesus told them, don't be troubled. Believe. Believe. Have you ever met someone who's circumstantially had every reason to be troubled, but they remained rock-solid, courageous, kind, and it almost seemed like as life got worse, they got stronger. You ever been around somebody like that? They're intensely encouraging people. Friends, that's, in terms of what Jesus calls us to, that's normal. That's not weird. That's not the stuff of super-Christians. That's not the stuff of the paid professionals. That's the average, run-of-the-mill, everyday Christian. That as life gets harder, faith gets stronger. That as circumstances seem more bleak, then Christ becomes all the more clear. Now, believe is kind of a, a funny word, not just because of the way the original sounds, pistuo. Turn to a neighbor and say pistuo. That is the Greek word for faith, and you won't forget it. It's also funny because actually we don't know what it means, even though we use it all the time. You see, when, when I meet people and say to them, so are you a Christian? Those that would say yes fall into to one of two camps most usually. E either they'll say, yes, I grew up going to church, therefore I'm a Christian, or yes, I believe in God. The second answer is the one I'd like us to think about for a moment. What does that person actually mean when they say, yes, I believe in God? Most often I think they believe, yes, I think God exists. And yes, he's generally good to those who are good people. I think that's what they mean. But that's not actually what Jesus means by pistuo. It's not what he means when he says, believe in God and believe in me. That's simply acknowledging that God exists. Most people for all of time have believed in some God or gods. And in fact, the scriptures tell us even the demons believe. So what does Jesus mean when he says, believe in God and believe in me? Well, it can't mean believe like the demons believe. Wow. Nice one, Kimberly. It's got to mean more than that. He's got to be referring to, to saving belief. To belief that gets you through hardship. Belief that saves. Belief that changes heaven or hell. Belief that can sustain you through whatever troubles might come your way. In other words, pistuo here must mean something more like intelligent trust, reliance, complete confidence in God. So Jesus is actually saying, don't turn off your brain. Don't act like the circumstances around you are easy. Don't stick your head in the sand. Don't walk the plank and jump into the abyss of faith. 
Actually, what he's saying is, use your mind to its fullest. Trust intelligently and put your entire faith in me. Now, we've all probably heard that illustration that preachers like to use of the chair. And uh, yesterday, I was looking on YouTube for examples of people who have done that. And I found one, you need to go home and search for it, where a preacher got up on a, um, what do they call those things? Pew, on the front, stood on it, was saying, I believe, I believe, and it fell over backwards. (laughs) So I'm not going to do that. But you should look at it, it's quite hilarious. I bet that was a, a sermon buster, almost as bad as Kimberly blowing her nose. But believe, the illustration works. You can see a chair, you can cognitively admit it's got four legs, but, but belief is, is sitting in it, allowing it to hold you up, trusting that you won't fall if you use it correctly. Trust in God, friends, is the way through trouble, regardless of the circumstances. Trust in God is the way through trouble, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of if the troubling thing stops. Belief in God causes you to rise above it, to live through it, to, as you become weaker, to actually become stronger. Friends, Tempe needs not people who trust God to help them graduate from Barrett with honors. It needs not people who trust God to give them their dream job. It needs not people who trust God to cure their cancer or lift their depression. Now, all of those things are fine to pray for, but what Tempe actually needs is people who believe in God when having faith means they have to break up with their boyfriend. It needs people who believe in God even while they're dying of cancer. Tempe needs people who Believe in God such that they'll give away their money instead of hoarding it. That they'll forgive people who hurt them without cause, other than Jesus says to forgive them. Tempe needs men and women, boys and girls, whose hope is in Christ, not the tangible stuff of life, who will be faithful to Jesus even when their lives don't get easier as a result. In fact, they get harder. That's what Tempe needs. John Calvin was that kind of person. For some of you, he's almost a cuss word. For others, he's a source of encouragement. But just listen to this. He wrote, It's impossible for us, indeed, to avoid feeling various emotions. But though we are shaken, we must not fall down. Thus it is said of believers that they are not troubled because relying on the word of God through very great difficulties press hard upon them, still they remain steadfast and upright. That's what, what Jesus is calling us to, to believe in God and to believe in him. Our confidence, our hope, our trust, our steadfastness is that God is who he says he is and that he's done what he said he would do. 
It's not rooted in our circumstances, but in the enduring word of God. But, you might be saying, so let's talk about a few of the objections. There are plenty. I picked out just two so that you don't have to stay here the rest of the afternoon. Number one, but I don't believe in God, you might say. And we would say, those of us that do, thank God that you're here. Of all the places you could be on a Sunday morning, we're thankful that you chose to be here. Every Sunday there are people in the room that do not believe in God. We're glad that you're here. You're welcome here. We are thankful that Churchill Mill is a place where doubters can be. You're welcome. But what do you do when you don't believe? Well, our encouragement to you would be don't, don't stuff your questions and ignore your doubts. Instead, articulate them. Be honest about them. Develop a friendship with somebody here and say, would you help me understand how you came to believe? Why you believe? What would you say to this and this and this that I have questions about? How about this thing that happened to me when I was a child? What about all the people that I've never heard? You actually believe a book written by men came from God? There's lots of questions that you can reasonably have. Don't ignore them. Lean into them. Find someone who can help you sort through those questions. And perhaps together you could do something like sit down with the Bible. Start in Mark 1 or John 1 and simply read it together. Articulate, I've got to be honest, I don't believe. The best thing you can do is be transparent. And then simply pray, God, if you're there, if you're real, if this is true, then as I read this book, convince me. Help me to come to the point of understanding if it's actually real. You don't have to make believe that you believe. This is a safe place. Maybe another objection might be, but that used to be me, but I came to a point of believing, but it didn't work, so now I don't believe anymore. Honestly, most people struggle with their belief at some point in their Christian walk. It's actually fairly common to come to a point of significant, substantial doubt. If you're here today and you're a follower of Christ and you've been through a period of time like that, would you just raise your hand? Look around you if this objection speaks to you. Pam's got both up. <laughs> so it's many of us. We are so prone to think if I believe in God, then my troubles will go away. If I follow him closely enough, all the troubles will end. And so when they don't, then it's very natural to have struggle and doubt. But notice, my dear friends, what, what John says that Jesus said is not this. Let not your heart be troubled. Obey all the rules God has given you and life will get easier. It's not what he says. He also doesn't say, let not your heart be troubled. Come to church and your marriage will be healed. Let not your heart be troubled. Be a good person 
and you'll be happy and healthy. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, and you'll always have everything you want in life. Believe in God. Not, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, and no tragedy will befall those you love. Friends, that's not what he says. If you turn on the TV to so-called Christian TV or go to Amazon and choose a book in the category of spirituality, those are the kinds of things you're most likely to hear. Why? Because it sells. Because there's, there actually are some scriptures that if you misread them, misunderstand them, misinterpret them, misapply them, seems to say things like that. But that's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus actually said. Could it be that your struggle is that you're, you are in a state of being exactly like the disciples? You believed Jesus promised one thing, but life is showing it's not turning out that way. In other words, could you be troubled because you're just like the rest of the disciples? Well, yes. We have to be so careful and thoughtful here. Jesus did not give us good works as a way to earn the absence of problems. And he never promised Christianity is a rescuer of temporal hardship. In a month or so, we're going to come to John 16. Flip over there with me and look at verse 31. John 16, 31. And remember, we're taking several months to cover a period of time that happened in less than 24 hours. Okay? So, we're going really slow and trying to deliberately learn and ponder and meditate, not just here, but here and soak it in our hearts and change. John 16, verse 31. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each one of you to his own home, and you'll leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, trial, hardship, difficulty. God, why is this happening to me? I told you it would. But take heart. I've overcome the world. So in the world you're going to have lots of trouble. It's not going to be easy. Guess what? None of us are getting out of this alive. In the world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Be of courage. Believe. I have overcome the world. Perhaps you've counted on God to do something that he promises he'll do in heaven, but that he hasn't said will happen here on earth. And if so, I would have loads of sympathy for you because I've done the same thing. God promises us a day when he will wipe every tear from our eye while there will be no more struggle with sin, no more crying, no more hardship, no more difficulty, no more disappointment. But that day is not for today. 
The day is still to come. And so our courage, our hope, is not in easy circumstances today, but in our assurance of tomorrow. So belief is not believe in God and he'll take away your troubles. And if that's not belief, then what is belief? Well, back to John 14. If that's not the belief we're talking about, then what are we supposed to be believing in? This is where it gets kind of surprising. See? Jesus said to believe that God prepared a place. He said, put your hope in, your confidence, your trust in that God has prepared a place. Listen to it again, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Now, when I was growing up as a child and would hear this passage talked about, I always thought that what he was talking about is when I die, I, if I'll go back to being eight. Some of you think that's not, you, that's the way you act. If I go back to when I was eight, I thought that meant um, I grew up on a King James Bible. Some of you don't even know what that is. And I think, if I remember correctly, I didn't check this, but it uses the word mansions. So I thought, this is pretty dope. I'm going to get a mansion in heaven, and it's going to have a whole bunch of four-wheelers. And I'm going to get to spend forever on four-wheelers, and if I crash, it won't matter because you can't break anything. It's going to be really cool. And Jesus is up there right now putting oil in those forerunners, building out a deck on the back patio, putting in a hot tub. Jesus is preparing a place. Now you're laughing, but some of you have thought this exact same thing. That's not even close to what he's talking about. His going and preparing was actually completed four days after he said those words. Let me see if I can explain before you throw something at me, all right? Summer is nearly upon us. It's about to get oven roasting, burning your flesh off. Why does anyone live here hot? Right? So we had a shocking week this week. Enjoy it because it's about over. Many of us are going to go on vacation. We'll drive to San Diego or fly to Colorado. We will go under the pretense, I'd like to see friends and family, but really we just want to escape the heat. And this super weird thing is going to happen. You're going to be gone a week or two, you're going to have a great time, and then you're going to want to come back. And you're going to get home, and suddenly all your toys are like new. Your, your food tastes good. Your, your TV looks nice. Your, your couch with all the stains on it is better than the, the couch in the four-star hotel in San Diego. What is that about? Isn't that weird? Your bed's going to feel really comfortable. What is that? It's home. 
There's no place like home. We are people who long to be home. Jesus said, I prepare a place for you. My Father's house has many open rooms. You'll be with me. Do you hear it? I'm making a home. Now, what is home? Home is where you're loved and accepted. Home is where you can relax on the inside and just be yourself. Home is where you're absolutely 100% sure that you belong, that you can be yourself, that you don't have to perform, that you're loved unconditionally, that you don't have to put on the makeup. Home is, is home. When Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you, that's what he was getting at. He wasn't talking about mansions and glory. He was talking about life here on earth with an internal sense of homeness because you're right with God. You see, our love to be home after vacation has a cosmic fulfillment. The world is not our home. We aren't made for the troubles that we face. We weren't made for guilt and pride and shame and abuse and disease and death. We weren't made to be separated from God. We're actually hardwired to be in relationship with him and in relationship with each other. We're uncomfortable in the world because, Christians, it's not our home. And so Jesus' death and resurrection were the preparation for the home he's talking about. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, he was talking about what would happen in just a few days, not what would happen in thousands of years. Jesus prepared this place for us through his death and resurrection. In other words, he provided the place for us to be right with God. You see, what we all long for is to see God, to be with him, to enjoy him, to be with him in the new heavens and new earth fully, but to enjoy the... the first fruits of that today. Acceptance, eternal peace, unending joy, a family to belong in, unconditional love. That's what we long for. Life with God forever. And doesn't that sound so much better than a big house and some four-wheelers? That's what God's talking about. That's what Jesus says to believe in. And he says if you believe in that, that's much better than the absence of trouble. What separates us from that life, from that place, if you will, from the start of experiencing that eternal home and then enjoying it forever, is the pursuit of home apart from God. That's another way of saying it's sin. Jesus has prepared a place. Jesus is the way. And by believing in his sacrificial death, trusting that Jesus died and rose again, you can be saved. You can be rescued from an eternal homelessness and enjoy him today. You can have the confident hope of a home with God that you didn't earn, don't deserve, but can be yours freely, fully now in Christ. 
An eternal home is promised by Jesus for all who trust for salvation. Now, this confidence that Jesus will come again for his people and we can enjoy him forever is the hope that sustains us through troubles, any kind of troubles. And that hope is simply the gospel. Do you believe that? Do you believe in God and believe in Jesus? Well, if not, you can today. It doesn't require every question you've ever had being answered. It requires believing in that, believing in him, and turning over the reins of your life to him such that his word becomes the bit in your mouth that guides you wherever you go. Now, notice that Jesus said to believe God has prepared a place for who? It's a plural pronoun. Those of you who have not been in English a while, that means more than one. God has prepared a place for us. God's plan is undeniably corporate. You see, he's building not little standalone one-room houses. He's building, to quote the song, like three of you in the room will remember, a big, big house with lots and lots of, a big, big table, a big, where we can play. (laughs) I'm surprised, actually. God's building an enormous family for his room, for his people. He goes out of his way to say, in this place, there are many, many rooms. God is a generous God. He's not a stingy God. He's inviting people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to have a place in his place. He's doing it primarily through the ministry of local churches, just like us. And until Jesus returns, our responsibility is, in all our troubles, to be reminding people from everywhere to believe in God, to believe in Jesus. Collectively, the church points to the future reality of heaven, and we serve as a light to the world, a world that's crushed by troubles. When you're out in the store or driving in your car or riding your bike or talking to your coworker or sitting across from a classmate, are you cognizant, are you aware of the fact that, that they are troubled people? Friends, the world's full of trouble and we have the answer. Not because we're better or smarter, but because God has made his word known to us. And the way God makes his word known is through people. Most of you here in the room today who are Christians could point back to other people who shared God's word with you. Guess what? That doesn't stop with you. You then get the blessing of carrying it on, of sharing it with other people. 
God's design is to do this work through local churches. That's why as a church, we're so committed to blessing and supporting other churches. That's why we do internships and residencies. That's why we're part of the SBC and Nine Marks and Gospel Coalition. And as we'll hear tonight, having elders will enable us to better care for each other in times of trouble, to be better helpful to other churches. What a privilege we have to say, there's a big God with lots of room, plenty of room to take you. Just believe. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus. What a privilege to have experienced a home with Jesus, to await the future joyous, full completement of that house, to be with him forever, and to be a sign that that's coming, and to be able to to share it joyfully with others. So friends, if you know the story of the early church, if you've read on through Acts, if you've read any books about what happened after Acts was completed, then you'll know that these disciples were, in fact, comforted by these words. You'll know that they stopped being troubled. You know that they believed in God and believed in Jesus. The Roman world was turned upside down simply from this tiny group of people that Jesus said, believe in God and believe in me. The Romans were tough people. They learned to deal with death by making it a sport. And 10, well, actually 11 of those 11, the vast majority of those disciples ended up, what happened to them? 10 of those 11 that heard, they they didn't actually experience an absence of trouble. Their belief, their pistuo, cost them their lives. And the one of those 11 who didn't was exiled, but they weren't troubled. They went to their deaths, as one author notes, reveling in joy, singing hymns, counting themselves blessed that they were found worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. People who acted like they were on top of the world when the world seemed to be more on top of them. And tens of thousands that came after them did the same thing because they came to see that Jesus is the ultimate treasure. He's the Savior. He's worth it. He's worth it. Jesus with troubles is better than Jesus without troubles because ultimately you are the trouble. You're not going to get away from the trouble. The trouble will always be with you. All the troubles of this world are good gifts of God to help us long for our true home in heaven. Friends, Jesus prepared a place and through the gospel, we can live in the confident joy of having it. So regardless of what you've done before you came in this room today, Jesus would say to you, believe in God and believe in me.